To begin this morning's sermon, I want us to follow Jesus into the wilderness. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, so I would invite you to turn there with me. Uh, Matthew 4, a few texts will be up here, but some will not, so it will help you, it will benefit you to have your own copy of the Word, open up to Matthew 4, we're going to start in verse 1 as we follow Jesus into the wilderness. We read in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel writer says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. So this was a God-ordained, this was the will of God for Jesus to go out into the wilderness in, in this manner in order to be tempted by the devil. Now, just to place this in the context of the story of Jesus, this is after his baptism, when he submitted to baptism, when his ministry was sort of kicked off, inaugurated. But before his official ministry began, before he went out teaching and preaching and healing and spreading the good news of the kingdom, he had to go into the wilderness first. And let us not forget what is at stake as Jesus is out there in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, being tempted by Satan. Satan, the enemy of God, the devil, the tempter, is trying to thwart God's plan for redemption by causing the perfect Savior to sin. He wants to derail the whole project before it even gets underway. He wants to trip Jesus up before he even really gets started in his ministry. Because if he does, he knows that he can totally mess up the whole grand scheme of redemption that God had planned from the foundations of the world, that that he would accomplish through Jesus, his son. This is a great opportunity for Satan to throw everything off. And he knows it, and he's going to throw everything he can at Jesus to make sure that happens. So now I want you to look with me in verse 2 of chapter 4. When we read, when we read what may be the biggest understatement in the whole Bible. You ready for this? Verse verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Oh, do you think? Uh, Duh. Yeah, he was hungry after going without food for 40 days and 40 nights. This is the most that any human can go. And I'm no medical professional. I know we've got him in here. But from what I've read, this is the most any human can go without food without risking permanent health damage, physical damage to your body. Jesus has gone 40 days, 40 nights, nothing to eat, and the Bible says he was hungry. That's like if I stood up here and said, yeah, yesterday I ran in a 100-mile race, and when it was over, I was slightly winded, just a little bit tired. He was hungry. We can scarcely imagine this level of hunger. I mean, you've heard your kids say, Mom, Dad, I am starving. And it's just been three hours since their last meal. We say that. I'm not just picking on the kids. We adults in this prosperous country where we expect three or four meals a day, we say things like that, silly things. I am famished. I'm starving. We don't know hunger like this. After 40 days and 40 nights without food... Jesus was hungry. And along comes Satan. And I don't have to tell you this because because you know it. 
Satan is a master at exploiting our weaknesses, isn't he? He knows where the chink in our armor is, and that is where he trains his weaponry. He knows where to hit us where we're weak. And that is precisely what he does in Matthew chapter 4. Look in verse 3. The tempter came and said to him, Listen, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He hits Jesus where it hurts. Where he knows he's the weakest. In his famished, empty, growling stomach. And I want you to imagine what a great temptation this would have been for Jesus. Jesus was a man just like we are men and women. He was human in every, in every way that we are. And I can envision Jesus looking at some of the stones lying about and beginning to envision them as piping hot loaves of bread. Can you see it? Delicious, fresh, baked bread right out of the oven. Is there a smell that's better than that? That aroma? I remember when Sister Polly Church pulled up, pulled up in my driveway one, one afternoon. Uh, we weren't expecting her. She got out of the car. She had a hot, fresh loaf of bread in the passenger seat. She'd just taken it out of the oven and brought it to our house. There's not a smell better than that. Jesus hasn't had a thing, not a bite to eat in 40 days, 40 nights. Now you ask yourself, what would you do? I mean, Satan's just saying, hey, if you're the son of God, I mean, you should be able to do that, so why don't you just do that? It, shouldn't, it wouldn't hurt anything for you to do that. Make those stones some bread. What would you do? I think, I'd, I, think I would be feasting on some bread, is what I think I would do. But what does Jesus say? In response to say, he knows what Satan's getting at here. Satan is trying to prevent him from being the savior that he intended to be. Satan is trying to use his divinity against him, trying to trip him up. Jesus responds in this way. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's not just about bread, Satan. It's not just about physical food. A truth that Jesus understands better on an empty stomach than we do with full bellies is this. We need more than physical food for true, full life to be sustained. We've got to have more than that if we really want to live. And even in his famished state, Jesus gets it. He gets that the words of God are vital to his being. He gets it. Now, do we share his desperation to be fed by God's words? Jesus turned down bread after 40 days and 40 nights of going without anything to eat with this statement from the Old Testament Scriptures, man does not live by bread alone. That shows me someone who hungers, who thirsts, who craves the words of God. Do you? Do we? Are we desperate? To be fed by God's word. And we believe that by the mysterious and powerful work of God's spirit, the words that are written and compiled and preserved within this book are God's words. This is God's word. Both Old Testament and New Testament are divinely inspired scripture, breathed out by God, therefore profitable for teaching reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the person of God 
may be competent, equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3. And because this is the Word of God, it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. That's Hebrews 4. Mankind, humankind, we need more than just bread for life. We need the words. We need the Word of God. Now, do you share Jesus' hunger for God's words? I mean, if I'm just asking myself, that's a dumb question. Because the answer is no. No. I don't crave after God's Word like Jesus does. I fall so far short of the example that Jesus sets for me in Matthew chapter 4 in the way that He responds to the temptation of Satan. Now, when Jesus responds to Satan, He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 where Moses in that Old Testament book reminds the people of Israel, God's special people in the Old Testament, the purpose of manna. Do you remember manna? Maybe you don't know about manna, but if you grew up in church, I bet you've heard about manna when you were growing up in Sunday school. If you don't know about it, let me tell you about it. It was during the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings for the people of Israel, it was the bread the food that God provided to His people in order to sustain them. It would be given each day while they were out in the wilderness, just enough for the day. And they couldn't collect any more than that. If they did, by morning, uh, it would be full of worms. So this was to teach the people to be reliant upon God for each and every need. Manna was the bread that came down from heaven to provide for the people of Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness. And the people didn't like it. They didn't care for it. They weren't grateful to God for the gift of bread that He provided. In fact, listen to what they said in chapter 11, verse 4. They said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Wah, wah, wah. They just whined about all the great delicacies they had back in Egypt when they were slaves, when they were in bondage, and now that they're free, they wish that they had some of those delicious foods that they had back in the good old days. They weren't thankful for the manna that God provided from heaven. In fact, In Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, they said, we loathe this worthless food. They were ungrateful to God for what He was doing for them on a regular basis. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, when Moses is reminding the people about the law and the covenant that they had made before God at Mount Sinai, he reveals to them, that God didn't just provide the manna to alleviate physical hunger, He provided the manna to activate spiritual hunger. He provided the manna manna in the way that He did so that they could learn that it was not by bread alone that they existed, that they lived. So what we see in the Old Testament in God's dealings with Israel is that God removed an obstacle, which was the fine foods of Egypt that hindered Israel from hungering for His words. 
He was testing them. He was disciplining them. He was providing the manna, not just so that they would have physical food to eat, but so that their spiritual hunger for God's words would be reawakened. And listen, there are some barriers, there are some obstacles in our lives too, and we must be aware of them. These are barriers that block us from desiring, from being eager for God's words as we should. I just want to share a few with you very briefly. First of all, accessibility of the word. This is a double-edged sword. Because never in the history of mankind has the Bible been as accessible as it is today. And that is a wonderful blessing. We have more Bibles than we've ever had. And the Bible has been translated into more languages than it ever has. It is making its way across the globe into communities that never had the Bible in their own language. But at the same time, as the stacks of Bibles increase in our homes, it seems that we are reading it less and less. It seems that the greater the amount of Bibles we have, the less necessity we feel to read it. So we need to be aware of this. That though the Bible is more accessible than it ever was, we don't need to allow that to create an impediment for reading it. We we need to realize, even though Bibles are numerous, we need to realize how precious and how special it is. That we have the very words of God at our fingertips at all times. I'm just afraid that it's become so available that we've forgotten the importance of God's word. So this is a barrier that we we need to be mindful of. We need to remember. Another one is our affluence. We do not realize how wealthy we are. We talk about wealthy people as if we do without, as if we are poor. Goodness gracious, compared to the people this world over, here in this room sit the wealthiest of the wealthy. We are so rich. And our wealth in this country, it's been one of the biggest roadblocks for people seeking after the Lord. It is. And God in the Old Testament warned His people about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, He said, listen, you need to remember this. When you get there and when you have houses to live in and when you have food to eat, do not forget the Lord your God. I know how this goes. You'll get there and you think it is by the strength of your hands and it is by your hard work and your power that you have all these things and you'll forget about God. That's what's happened in our country. We have all of this wealth, all of these resources, and we think it's because we've done a good job, that we've educated ourselves, that we've worked hard. We don't need the Bible anymore. Shut your Bibles and put them on the shelves because I'm a self-made man. And I've done all this myself. And I'm where I am because of my hard work and, and my abilities and my talents and my ingenuity. We're doing exactly what God warned His people not to do in the book of Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, our wealth, our affluence has turned us away from God's word, from the very source of life. That is a roadblock. That is a barrier. Please be mindful of it. And how about one more? Our activity addiction. We think we're just too busy to read God's word. 
And reading God's Word and studying the Bible, it is pushed further and further towards the back burner as we fill our lives more and more with meaningless activities that will not amount to a hill of beans, eternally speaking. We're addicted to filling our calendars full of stuff. All the while, Bible study, Bible reading, reflection on the Scriptures is increasingly neglected. Obstacles. Be aware of the power that they have in your lives, believers. And these obstacles and more, they get in the way of a steady diet of God's Word, regular meals of spiritual food, just to continue this metaphor that is laid out for us in the Scriptures. We need a regular diet of God's Word. Now let's think about that. Let's sort of assess, I'll just be a, a spiritual dietitian for a moment, and let's assess how you're doing, uh, how your intake of God's Word is going. Uh, let's think about a sermon, for instance. So on an average Sunday morning, I'll preach when, all, when, you, when you take away the stuff at the beginning where I'm you know, welcoming everybody and telling you about upcoming stuff. I preach anywhere from 25 to 30 minutes. And some of you are like, yeah, more like 35 is what it feels like. But, um, and even the best sermon, and I'm not talking about if my illustrations were good or if I delivered it well that day. I'm talking about even the sermon that is most substantive, that is most biblical, that lays on you a great amount of God's Word. Even the best sermon is only going to be a light meal for you. And yet for some of you, this is the only meal from God's Word that you will receive all week. You will close your Bible if you even brought it this morning. And you will not open it again until next Sunday. You'll set it on the coffee table or on a shelf. You'll maybe even leave it in your car so you make sure you know where it is when you get to church next Sunday. Now, I am breaking forth the bread of life this morning in the best way that I know how I'm slicing off a, a piece of the Word and, and laying it on a platter to the best of my abilities. But at my best, at a sermon's best, it can only be a light meal. And if you are solely relying on a weekly sermon to sustain you spiritually, you will be malnourished, spiritually speaking. You will be weaker than you can be. You cannot subsist spiritually on one light meal a week. Now, you wouldn't on a Friday refuse a meal by saying, oh no, on Sunday I had a really nice brunch that morning, so I'm good. It's no different spiritually speaking. You need a regular daily diet of God's Word. Now, sometimes solo meals are necessary. Sometimes you got to eat. And if there's nobody to eat with, you've got to prepare your food and enjoy it. But the New Testament time and again reveals that the ideal is to feast on the Word with fellow believers. And so we must make it up a priority to be getting together with one another as brothers and sisters and studying the Word. And yet a lot of us, a lot of us are spiritually malnourished because we're just relying on one sermon. We, are, we cannot survive spiritually on one 
short sermon every week. We just can't. The words of God should be to us like the air we breathe, like the water we drink, the food we eat. That's how it was for Jesus. After a 40-day fast, he refused bread by saying, not by bread alone does a man live. Jesus hungered after God's words, and and so should we. It should be a matter of survival for us. These words reveal to us the one true God who is our maker, sustainer, and redeemer. These words disclose the dreadfulness of our sin and the extravagance of God's grace. These words exalt the humble and humble the exalted. They comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. They lift up the brokenhearted, encourage the weak, and challenge the complacent. The work of the Holy Spirit through these words instills power and love and self-control into the hearts of every believer who reads them. These words speak truth in a world of lies, compassion in a world of hate, righteousness in a world of immorality. These words tear down boundaries. They bust open the shackles to sin. They remove burdens of guilt. These words strengthen families, sustain churches, and support societies. Man shall not. Mankind cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And yet our Bibles gather dust on our shelves. And yet we miss Bible class for the most minor of reasons. And yet we don't prioritize Bible reading and Bible study and the memorization of Bible passages in our everyday life? Shame on us. Shame on me. For I neglected as much as anybody. Boy, it's a far cry from this sentiment that we find in an old song that we sometimes sing. Within the sacred page, I seek Thee, Lord. My spirit pants for Thee, O living Word comes from the song, Break Thou the Bread of Life. Can you relate to that sentiment? I mean, we should be able to. That's the direction we ought to be moving in. And yet, day after day, the devil continues to place barriers and obstacles in our way, preventing us from seeking after God's words with this level of devotion and eagerness. And I'm here to tell you, as we begin to wrap up, Next time the devil throws a distraction your way, take a page out of Jesus' playbook and say to him, I will never cease to feed on my Father's words because my life depends on it. I've got to have it. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 is able to withstand temptation because of the Word. Because the Word of God had been imprinted on his mind and on his heart in his growing up years. Each time the devil threw a dart his way, all three times, how does Jesus respond? With Scripture. That was inside of him. He was able to recall it, retrieve it in the moment that he needed it the most. Goodness, if I'm facing a trial, the question, if you're facing a trial, the question should be, is it even in there for me to recall? It may not be if you haven't been diligent about placing it there. Jesus is able to get through one of the darkest, most challenging seasons of His life because He had been devoted to Scripture. And I want to be ready for any trial, any challenge that I face. I know that I can only be ready for it if I am devoted to Scripture. 
And I can lean upon the words of God in my darkest hour. And that's how Jesus does it here. Now we're about to offer the invitation. And on most Sundays when I say the word invitation, I know what happens. I'm not a fool. I can see you. I can see you out there. Uh, I don't preach with a blindfold on. When I say invitation, Bibles close, bags begin to be packed. I would say, we used to say reach for the songbook, but now you don't do that because you got the, you know, the words and the music up here. But I, I can see and hear the rustling, you're done, you're checking out, you've moved on to the afternoon plans and lunch and whatever. Hold your horses. Because today, the invitation is for these people. For anyone who says this morning, I believe what God, we've been talking about God's word, I believe what God's word says about following him. And I've believed it for a while. I just haven't acted on it. And I really don't know why, but today's my day. I've been taught the scriptures. I know what God did for me through Jesus. I know that I need to come and say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe it. I know I need to repent and turn away from my old life. I know I need to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. And it's just time for me to do that. I pray that there's somebody out there who fits that mold. I know that we have people in our midst who have yet to make that decision. Today is your day. When we sing in just a few moments, come down the aisle. Let's immerse you into Christ so that you can be made a new creature, ready to live with God for all eternity. The invitation is also for people who can say this. People who can say this with me. Lord, I don't love your words like I should. I don't love your word like I should. I don't hunger for your word as Jesus did. And so I repent. And that word, oh, repent, we don't like that word, do we? We don't. We're not a fan of that word repent. Our world is not a fan of that word repent because repentance means that there's something wrong for which I'm sorry and I need to change. And we don't like to admit that there's something wrong and we don't like to change. But let me tell you something. If you're a baptized believer, repentance should be a part of your daily routine. And maybe repentance should be a part of this service for you this morning. I mean, ask yourself, when is the last time you walked down the church aisle? I mean, for some of you, it's, it's been quite a while. But you think, oh, I, I'm all right. I can make it another week. I'll just say my private prayer in my seat. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I hope all over the house tonight, you are as convicted by God's word as I have been. And, and, and you are ready to repent as I have repented. God, I don't love your word like I should. I'm ready to change. But maybe you need an extra boost of encouragement this morning. You need some prayers, and you're ready to come down and say, I hadn't been down here in a while, and I feel like my spiritual life is kind of on cruise control. And this morning, I just I need to admit to God and to my brothers and sisters, I don't love his word like I should, and I, can, I am weaker for it. And I want to be made strong. Again, I want to be more devoted to God this next week than, than I have been for quite a while. Maybe you need to come this morning and respond to the invitation. Why don't you do that while we stand and sing?